Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, everyone. Welcome back into the BT Powerhouse podcast. It is Thursday, October 19th. Um, my name is Thomas Bennett, as always. I am the host of the podcast, manager of BT Powerhouse, and we are continuing on in our season preview series tonight with the Iowa Hawkeyes, and we have a, an exciting guest on with us, a former BT Powerhouse writer and now over with SB Nation's Iowa affiliate. Uh, Jerry, how's it going tonight? Thomas, what's up, my man? It's almost here. Yeah, yeah, we're we're close, man. We are close. It's exciting. Um, so what what have you been up to? What has uh, Blackheart Gold Pants been up to here lately? Well, we are just got off the bye week for football season, so we're kind of getting back in the swing of things for Northwestern this weekend and getting amped up for basketball. I actually did a mailbag today for the site, and – I think a healthy majority of the questions that I got in, uh, near about 35 of them, all had to do with the Iowa basketball team. I think people are ready to see what Fran McCaffrey has put together with this young but talented roster. Uh Yeah, I mean, Iowa is certainly one of the more intriguing teams just because I don't know if they have anything that pops off the screen at you, but a lot of really – solid pieces. Uh, so it's kind of the question of whether this is going to be a uh, death by a thousand paper cuts type of thing, or um, uh, maybe the, they'll struggle to get it together. I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. Um, but let's, let's jump into this. And I'm sure you recall some of how these preview podcasts go, but I always like to start with taking a look back at last season. You know, obviously it, it didn't go as well as Hawkeye fans would have hoped. The team ends up in the NIT after really a back-and-forth series of, you know, red-hot and then inconsistent and back-and-forth. Um, what do you make of last year? Uh, what, what's the big takeaways for fans? And more, most importantly, um, what do you think it means as we transition into this season? First off, last season, like you said, this, this roster had Peter Jock, and that was about it as far as, you know, actual pieces that we knew we had going into the season that were going to be able to contribute at a Big Ten, you know, level. And that's kind of how the season went. Uh, The non-con was okay. We had a couple injuries. Tyler Cook got injured. Peter Jock ended up getting injured for a little bit. And we got a bunch of freshmen some much-needed minutes. And at first it just didn't gel right. You can see that they were kind of just trying to figure themselves out, figure themselves out together as a team. And then towards the end of the season, they rallied and they did everything they could to try to push themselves off the bubble and into the NCAA tournament. You know, finishing 10 and 8 in the league last year for me was actually surprising. I kind of assumed that they would be under 500 just given the fact that nobody on that roster was any sort of realistic minutes in college basketball. And they, they shocked the people towards the end of the season. They had some big wins. And I think now going into this year, all of that 
puts them at a veteran status. All those young freshmen that are now sophomores are really playing almost at a junior level, if you come to think of it, especially for an Iowa program who generally likes to get kids in for four years. Um, you know, it was a surprising season. It was fun. You could see the hope from last year, and I think that's why Iowa fans right now are really excited to see what's come from that growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I I definitely think of this last season, excuse me, pretty similarly. You know, it, it certainly – you can't sit back and think it was a great season anytime you end up in the NIT. But, you know, it was, it was a growth year for the program. I mean, Iowa – Fair or not, uh, or um, good, however you want to think of it, I guess. Uh, you know, they don't recruit at an elite level, so replacing that many big-time contributors is not something that Iowa can do with ease on a year-to-year basis. But um, as you mentioned, they got a lot of young players' time. Um, I, in Ken Palm's experience rating, Iowa finished 345th, so obviously a very young team um, in terms of overall minutes. And now they move into this season, bringing back just about everyone. Um, however, you know, there are uh, going to be some roster moves from last year, and particularly um, one player will be gone, and that's Peter Jock. Uh, Dale Jones will also be gone, but really the player we're talking about here is uh, Peter Jock, who was a do-it-all player for the Hawkeyes, arguably one of Iowa's greatest players of all time. Um, a interesting stat for anyone who who's, uh, likes this kind of stuff, he, I believe, is the only player to ever win at every Big Ten venue um, that currently exists, I guess. So of the 14 teams, he's the only one to have won at every single one. So uh, puts into perspective what he did. Um, so I guess first off, uh, what, what, what's your perspective on Peter Jock? Uh, you know, we don't need a 20-minute analysis on his career here, but um, – you know, what did you think of him as a player, and how big are his shoes going to be to fill for the Hawkeyes this season? So I'll, I'll start with the first question first. Um, Peter Jock was an absolute treasure to watch play at Iowa. If everything went his way in high school, he was definitely a player that probably wouldn't have ever ended up um, at the University of Iowa to play because he was get, being touted as a top 10, top 20 guy until he ended up hurting himself. Uh, he was getting looks at from guys like Duke and Michigan State, and he probably would have been a blue blooder if he, you know, if everything stayed right with the health. And instead, he came to Iowa, and he was he was one of those guys that you could depend on to make a big shot. But kind of transitioning into what I expect as far as his shoes being filled, we kind of have a joke at Blackheart Gold Pants in our in our Slack chat about how maybe there's some Ewing theory potential with Jock. If people aren't familiar with that, it's something that Bill Simmons eventually teams becoming better once, you know, a guy that dominated the ball is off the team. And I can kind of see where some of, you know, our writers are getting that from. Jock dominated the ball last year, and it also took opportunities away from guys like Isaiah Moss, who if people remember from my writing for you at BTP and kind of jumping on a podcast a couple months ago, He's my dude. Like, that's the guy that's going to come in, and he's – from talks that I've had with guys like Mike Dizel, that dude has been balling since a freshman when he was redshirted. And if he can come in there and get to the lane, he's a great slasher. He's obviously got the shot already. I think he can step in and do some things a little bit more than Peter Jock could because for all the things that he did from an offensive end of the, the court – 
defensively, he had a lot left to be desired for me. So um, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to in seeing where the step Isaiah Moss made and kind of how him and Jordan Bohannon play together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to start off with, uh, you know, you you put it out well. I, I think Peter Jock was just an outstanding player. I, I do think you wonder if, you know, maybe uh, he was one of the most highly used players in the Big Ten um, in the nation, so maybe things will spread out a little bit better. But, uh, you know, you, you cannot replace a player like that overnight. Um, it's just, it just Yeah, it doesn't happen. Um, but Iowa has plenty around him. They have a very uh, deep wing group. Um, uh, there are obviously going to be some questions about um, can they develop sort of the starting lineup more, or is this just sort of a, a rotating chorus of, you know, really solid players, but maybe not uh, really, really good players. But uh, they have the pieces to replace them. You know, you mentioned Moss, you know, Bear. Obviously, they, they're a little bit different players than Jock, but um, they have the pieces there, but big shoes, big shoes. And I'm not sure if Iowa can necessarily replace that kind of player in one off season, but of course, nonetheless, yeah, it's going to uh, be, it's, time it's going to be a, be a oh, fill by committee. No, it, it's going to be a fill mm-hmm. by committee yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if they're going to do it, that's how they're going to have to, um, but you know, of course time moves forward and you know, there may be some guys walking out the door, but there are a few new guys coming in Um they had a three-piece recruiting class, which I think has been seriously overlooked nationally. Um, I really like Garza. I really like McCaffrey. Um, not as crazy about Nunge, but I, I like both of those guys a lot. Uh, what do you think of this incoming recruiting class, and do you think they can uh, make a, an impact here early for the Hawkeyes? Yeah, to start off, Luka Garza, I'm with you. I'm, I'm at I think he's going to be the rim protector that Iowa desperately missed last year after the graduation of Adam Woodbury. Um, Iowa's defense, especially for McCaffrey's defense, it needs to be anchored by somebody that can do that. And last year it was a bunch of dudes like Cordell Pemsel, Ryan Creener, Ahmad Wagner. Those guys weren't going to get the job done as far as the rim protecting goes. This year, Luca Garza and Nunji, they both come in as serious seven-footers. Now, Jack Nungy's probably not the guy that you want down playing the five. He's more of the stretch four that I think Fran McCaffrey's going to tinker with and he's excited to deploy. But Luca Garza comes in. He's Big Ten body ready. Um, he, apparently he can shoot. I'm a little skeptical about how far away he can shoot from. But he's going to be able to post up on the block. People are really, really high in and impressed on kind of what they've seen. And for a kid who was just playing high school basketball um, a year ago, that that's Definitely something to kind of pay attention to, especially in the non-conference. Um, you're absolutely right on McCaffrey. Obviously, he's going with he's going to be redshirted this year unless something happens uh, at the point guard position. He's going after that baseball um, passion of his first and foremost. But I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's something that happens, maybe with a Christian Williams later down the line, that maybe Fran has to burn that red shirt and get his son in anyways. But, yeah, this, this recruiting class is the first – Fran McCaffrey approved and stamped recruiting class. All these guys are super outside of the sun, are super long. They fit the mold of athletic, can shoot, can do, you know, three, four, five different things on the court. And it first of many that are coming down the line because next year Joe Wieskamp comes in, and then the year after that uh, McCaffrey's other son comes in. So 
These are all four-star guys, and for Iowa to be landing these types of players, that's a major step uh, for us to go and potentially become contenders in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this this class, like I said, I think it's very underrated nationally. I think it's even underrated in the Big Ten, you know, with some of the other groups that are coming in around the conference. But I I really like this, this class. I think Garza is a guy who – Maybe this is a little bit of a bold take. I think he's going to start uh, from day one. I, I think he has the size, as you mentioned, to make a, a big impact for the Hawkeyes. And McCaffrey, uh, yeah, he'll be interesting, you know, to use a, a line I used in the Minnesota podcast here. You know, he's he's a gravy player here for the Hawkeyes. If he can perform, you know, that's just the extra gravy here on the dish. Uh, because of the depth on the wick excuse me, the depth on the wing and then the backcourt, he doesn't have to contribute substantially as a freshman. But anything he can bring in there I think is going to be a nice boost. But, you know, they might be able to redshirt him. Uh, My anticipation is he'll probably play, but uh, who knows. But, yeah, I I like this class a lot. And I I think Garza is going to be in serious contention for all Big Ten freshman team by the end of the season. Um, But with that – yeah, um, but with that, um, moving into, you know, more of the team, less, you know, we sort of have an outlook on, you know, what they were last year, who's, who's leaving, who's coming in the, the front door here. Um, so what, what are things that, that fans should be excited about as we come into the season? What are things fans should be concerned about? Um, you know, obviously, I was looking to take a step forward after sort of a, a so-so season. Um, so what, what are some of the points of optimism and what are some of the concerns for you? The first point of optimism is Tyler Cooks. For some reason, you know, we're almost 15 minutes into this podcast and he hasn't really been named yet. Um, according to everybody at Media Day, the players he's been going up against, the coaches, Tyler Cook is going to be a player that you won't even recognize. And that was one of the quotes I think Fran said. It might have been one of the players, too that he has grown so much from last season that his level of play last year, you're going to think, which I was you know, pretty happy with considering he was a freshman and starting from day one, he's going to be that type of Big Ten All-American type player. And if that's the case and Tyler Cook is at that type of level, we already know that he's got the body. He's apparently shooting the ball better. Um, he's handling the ball and passing it really well, which was part of his problem last year. He was too quick. He was making decisions ahead of – basically his body was doing things that he, he just wasn't ready, like, to cash yet. Like, he couldn't get it done, and now he's there. His body and athletically, he's caught up to what his mind wants to do, and that's a scary thought because he might be one of the most lethal post-offensive players in the Big Ten. He's super athletic. He's apparently a shot blocker now, too, which is surprising because he didn't do that very well last year for a guy his size. Um, and with his caliber of, of athleticism. So that's the first one right off the bat that I cannot wait to see that maturation. Mm-hmm. Um, any any concerns for you? I'm concerned. That's a really good question because it's, it's the preseason, so everything is just so optimistic at this point. I suppose I'm concerned about the <laughs> Everything's defense. great. Yeah, everything's gravy right now. You know, Jordan Bohannon's going to make a thousand threes. Like, that's just kind of how we think at this point. But, no, I'm a little concerned about 
the defense and how that's going to play. I, I think you're right when you touched on Luca Garza. I think he will start from day one, and I'm hoping that he can be that anchor, as I mentioned before. Um, but on top of that, the point guard play, Jordan Bohannon not going to be an anomaly anymore. People know what he can do. And without Peter Jock there to kind of protect him, to keep him open, he's going to be gunned at. And it probably doesn't help that Fran McCaffrey is comparing him to Steph Curry right now <laughs> as some sort of bulletin board material. <laughs> but with only Christian Williams on the bench and a guy like Macy Daly, who we haven't really seen play, but apparently he can, you know, rack it in from deep too. There's something to be desired there, um, at least depth-wise depth goes. You were right when you said earlier that the wing is loaded. Um, I, I did a question today about how do you divvy up the minutes between the three and the four, and honestly it's hard because there's so many players there, but then when you get to the point guard, Christian Williams is a defender. He hasn't really shown the ability to shoot or you know, be anything offensively. That creates problems because defenders are ultimately going to sag off of him, clog the paint. And that that hurts guys like Tyler Cook and what Luca Garza can do. So that's kind of what I've seen. What have you kind of looked at? Because I know that you kind of go in depth and do a deep dive on this. What are you know as an outsider? What are you kind of looking at as far as concerns? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll start with the first the first part of it, which was sort of optimism. I agree. You know, Cook, player with a tremendously high ceiling. I mean, obviously there are there are a couple of players in the Big Ten that are sort of on a different level, you know, like Miles Bridges, where you know his ceiling is an NBA All Star, you know, let alone something at the college level. Um, but you know, excluding the those uh, few players there, where there's really only a couple, um, Cook is right up there with anybody in terms of overall potential. So I mean, that's something to be very excited about. I mean, this is a guy who absolutely, if he progresses as fans hope he does can be all Big Ten. So I think that's a great place to start. And I think the other thing is, is this team is bringing back a lot. I mean, Peter Jock is a huge missing piece. But at the same time, I mean, everybody else pretty much is coming back. Um, and that's, that's a great way to start, especially, you know, uh, as we mentioned earlier, you know, they were 345th in experience last season. So, I mean, it's not exactly crazy to think a lot of these players take a step forward. And if so, if they get even a couple of these guys, you know, looking at Cook right now, um, they, they will absolutely be in the NCAA tournament discussion, absolutely have a shot at being a top 25 team. Um, you know, that, that's going to depend on some of the concern areas, but they have that type of potential, I think. Uh, the concerns for me, I think the first one is, uh, and I say this on just about every podcast, it seems like, um, I'm a huge believer in um, you have to have a star player to compete for the top of the Big Ten. You have to have a star player to compete nationally. Um, and people disagree with that. Sometimes people get kind of fidgety about what I consider a star. But, I mean, if you go back and you look at all the all Big Ten team, first team, um, if you don't have someone on there or right there, uh, you're probably not going to be that good of a team. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just put it that way. I, I think it's a very, there's a very strong correlation. And I think the first thing is, is um, we've seen guys like Cook and Bohannon do it at a freshman level, but we haven't seen, um, you know, without Jock, there isn't necessarily a for sure first team type guy on here. So I think that's the first thing. I think there are clearly candidates, but um, – 
you know, until we see it, we haven't, we haven't seen it. I guess that uh, maybe that's a little too simple analysis, but um, that's, I think that's the number one thing. And the second thing is, is on the wing. Um, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'm always a little wary of the teams that seem like the depth jumps off the chart. Um, and I, I say this for a, uh, a couple reasons. And the, the big example I will use, which I know it's another sport, but you always hear the old uh, cliche that, you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't really have a quarterback. Um, I know that isn't necessarily the same in basketball, but I, I think sometimes when you have two guys at a position, it's because you don't have a guy who's dominant enough to lock down the spot. And that's the one thing that would concern me as far as the wing goes, because I think there are a lot of guys there who are really solid. They would for sure get rotational minutes on just about every Big Ten team. But I'm not sure who is going to take the step forward uh, this season yet. You know, maybe it's Bear, maybe it's Moss. Um, you know, who knows what Garza will be able to bring in year one. As I mentioned, I think he's going to start, but, you know, will he just be a uh, an okay freshman or is he going to be, you know, on that all Big Ten freshman level? I'm not sure, obviously, but uh, that's a thing that would concern me. And, and like you said, I think the, uh, the defense as well, uh, you know, how is that going to take a step forward this season? You know, maybe Jock wasn't the best defender, but – uh, that's an area that I, I think you have to take for, uh, a step forward in, and particularly um, on the other side of the ball is, you know, who's going to be the go-to guy here when we get into the, the shot clock is winding down or at the last five minutes of the game? I mean, obviously last year it was Jock. Um, maybe it's Bohannon this year. You know, we'll see. He showed some nice command late in the year. But I, I would say those are the, the big concerns for me, the points of optimism. But, uh but, yeah, and I, I guess speaking of that sort of go-to guy, quote-unquote, um, you know, the go-to guy of last year is, is out the door, um, for better or worse. Um, it's kind of uncertain who's going to be that guy. You know, you talked about Cook. Um, is he going to be designated sort of as the, the top player coming into the season, or do you think it'll be a, a little bit of drama in terms of that race? Um. I think there's maybe a little bit of drama. It all depends on what type of shot is needed, I think. We saw last year at Wisconsin that Jordan Bohannon isn't afraid to pull the trigger and that he's got the, the huevos to do it. Um, I He would personally be my choice, especially, again, because Kirk Fer- or Kirk Ferentz, goodness, I'm still in football mode, Fran McCaffrey is telling him that he reminds him of Steph Curry and Bohannon, according to some of the uh, the media day stuff, he's been working on some of that step-back game and watching a lot of film from Steph. So if that's the case, then Bohannon takes a little oh bit boy. of a step. and he can, <laughs> He's the kind of guy, he's got a quick trigger, he's already got the touch. I can see him doing it. Honestly, I think we're selling a guy like Nicholas Bear short for his ability to kind of get streaky in games like that too. Um, I'm not quite sure if um, Fran's going to put him to start this season or if he's going to come up and be the sixth man of the year again. But Bear has shown an ability to hit big shots when it matters and get to the rim and get to the free throw line. And I think with him being one of the older guys on this team and one of those energy type players that that team feeds off of, I could see him taking that step into that mode too. Um, But it might just be a committee thing for a while. If they need an easy bucket down late, Tyler Cook, Cordell Penzel, those guys have shown that they can do it there too. So, 
I don't think there is a guy yet. I think that'll naturally that usually naturally comes. Um, but I would definitely pick Jordan Bohannon if we need a three late or some sort of big shot to hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, the best player on the team overall is going to be Cook, but I do think the uh, the spiritual leader will be Bohannon, um, whether it's the uh, the late clock uh, shot clock uh, hoist. Um, to try to close out a game or win the game or what have you. Um, I think he's going to be the guy sometimes that will seem like the face, but I do think Cook will be the overall best player. It should be uh, an interesting battle there. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, there's Bear. We'll see what Garza can do or, or maybe uh, Pencil as well. Uh, it should. There's a lot of potential wild cards are into the, the top player, quote-unquote, race. But um, So we've talked about, you know, who's moving in and out, some of the, the concerns, some of the points of optimism, who might be the, the top guy on the team this year. Uh, let's, let's jump into the schedule for a second here. And I know it's always difficult to uh, project how teams and opponents are going to look before the season starts, but uh, Iowa does figure to have one of the uh, – they have a, what I would call a quietly dangerous schedule – um, particularly um, late November, early December, they have Virginia Tech on the road, Iowa State on the road. They get a game against Drake in December as well, uh, Colorado at a neutral court, um, Northern Illinois as well. Um, a lot of these games are going to be uh, tricky, but I don't think they will look like that necessarily to an outsider. Um, what do you make of the Hawkeyes' non-con schedule this year? And um, Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Um, and what should fans be looking for? Um, it's, it's funny because I think a lot of Iowa fans are considering this a favorable schedule. Um, you know, right now they're, they play Michigan State, Purdue, Northwestern, and Wisconsin at home. And they don't have those as mirror games, at least in the Big Ten. The non-conference schedule, I think this is one of those types of deals where McCaffrey wanted to put something together to get these guys going a little bit. Um, it doesn't seem very tough. Colorado was very similar to Iowa last time. Had him back-to-back in his end-of-the-year rankings. Not really worried about them. The game in Blacksburg could get a little interesting, if only because it's at Virginia Tech and it's the, the Big Ten ACC Challenge, so you never know kind of what happens with that. But I'd be shocked if Iowa wins or loses, you know, more than three games probably with Iowa State on that schedule. Um, listen, this is a team that was what they were the best offense in the Big Ten last year. They're fourth and three point three pointers made as far as percentage goes. They're scoring eighty points a game, and I think a lot of that is going to continue. They're bringing back seventy some percent of their offense from last year. I'm really not worried about the non conference schedule. I think the Big Ten schedule is very favorable. Um, they don't have to go to the Breslin Center where they've been awful uh, for a very long time. They don't have to go to Cole Center. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to the schedule a little bit. I think that this isn't going to be the the thing that, you know, undoes them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting take. Um, I don't know if I'm as on board with the, uh, the old manageable, quote-unquote, uh, I wouldn't say easy schedule here. Um, but, yeah, a lot of these games I was going to be favored in. You know, a bunch of them are either on neutral courts or at home, with the exception of that Virginia Tech-Iowa State uh, back-to-back uh, set of games there. But uh, 
But, yeah, I mean, they definitely have a chance to win 11 or 12 of these games. You know, and certainly if they exceed expectations, they potentially could run the table in these. But uh, I would just note, you know, teams like Virginia Tech, I, I think, get a little overlooked because they don't have the, the name brand, so to speak. But uh, they're, they're a dangerous team. The Hokies are a good program that's been building and ascending. Um, Iowa State, Iowa fans, I'm sure, are very familiar with. Uh, so it should be, uh, should be an interesting slate. Uh, the Big Ten, Big Ten schedule, you touched on it briefly. Yeah, avoiding a road game at Michigan State is certainly a, a huge one. They do get a road game at Minnesota, at Michigan. Um, they get Wisconsin at home, so that's a break. But, uh, I, you know, the, obviously people generally know what to expect out of the Big Ten slate. You know, everyone knows who's in the Big Ten. But I, I think Iowa does have some challenging ones. But certainly the one thing I do think they avoided is um, if you look through, they have very few stretches where they have really tough back-to-back games, which I think is good news. You know, one of those exceptions is in late January they get Purdue, Wisconsin back-to-back. But even those are both at home. But otherwise, you know, they're, they're not a team that has been slayed with one of these brutal five-game stretches where, you know, four of them are road games and the other one's a home game against Michigan State or something. So I think that will be good news for a team that's looking to improve and take a step forward. So something to watch. But uh, Iowa definitely has uh, what should be an intriguing schedule, but not one that's going to put them behind the eight ball, so to speak. But – so uh, we talked about the schedule. Um, let's dive into the lineup here for a second. Um, I think this is relatively predictable based on what we've talked about. Um, but how do you see the lineup on opening night? Um, do you see any surprises? And, you know, what, what's the position that you think will be the most competitive for the starting spot? I think we're going to see a Jordan Bohannon, Isaiah Moss, Nicholas Baer, Tyler Cook, Luca Garza starting lineup um, on opening night. I don't know how long that's going to last. I, I think, you know, if things get a little weird, um, Fran might switch that back and start, you know, getting Bear off the bench again because I think he really likes doing that, and, you know, in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of the first half. That's kind of what I think he's going to do. That's kind of what I think I would do if I was in his position. Give Nicholas Bear the opportunity to go out there and start. He's definitely deserved it and earned it at this point. Um, going from a walk-on to probably top three, top four most important player only because of all of the things he does defensively, offensively, and energy-wise. Um, the most competitive position is that three spot. Um, you got Nicholas Bear. You got a guy like Ahmad Wagner who's probably going to play a little bit on the wing this year. Um, Ryan Creener is going to be, you know, jockeying for a three-four spot. Um, and he was pretty solid last year too. You got a guy like Portal Pemsel there. There's a lot of opportunities for players to kind of push themselves into minutes this year. And I'm kind of intrigued to see how that competition, you know, what that kind of does for this team. Because generally, if you know there's only a certain amount of minutes out there and you're jockeying between five, six guys, the top, the cream of the crop's going to rise. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. I think McCaffrey is as well. And, you know, that that gets, that leaves me confident in who's going to end up being out there, especially in crunch time. Um, you know, once the Big Ten schedule runs around, because that's what this non-conference is really all about. It's about figuring out this lineup, figuring out who's your your eight or nine guys. McCaffrey keeps saying he's got twelve, but you know that we all know that that doesn't really work 
once you get into the Big Ten slate. So that's kind of what I expect on opening night and kind of throughout the non-conference schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to quote the, the all-time great Lee Corso, you are a very smart man. Um, I have the exact same starting lineup here on, on opening night. Uh, the one, the crazy one, so to speak, that I think fans will be surprised by is Garza starting at center. But I think his size and his raw skill set is going to get him up there. We'll see whether uh, he has any trouble with fouling or anything like that, as young players often do. But I, I think he's going to start up front. I think Moss, Bohannon, and Cook are easily your your. I don't want to call them locks, but I think they're the most likely to start. Um, and earn spots, and uh, the wing is going to be where the battle is, in my opinion, with Bear um, and Pencil and, you know, just a variety of other guys, you know, whether they want to go small or big. Um, it's really, uh, I don't want to say positionless, but a lot of those guys can play two or three spots, no problem. So I think they will be able to shift around and get the best five on the floor, which is a, a great position to be in um, if you're a Hawkeye fan. And it'll, I think that will help them a lot, too, in Big Ten play to match up with some of the varying lineups. You know, Michigan State's probably going to be really huge this year versus, you know, a team like Illinois or Indiana that might be a little bit smaller. So I, I think that could give uh, Iowa a little bit of a um, sneaky advantage, I guess, that, that fans won't necessarily expect. So uh, keep an eye on that. But, yeah, I think that's going to be the lineup, and certainly that, that wing spot will be a continuous battle for the vast majority of the year. But with that, um, I always like to finish on the, on the fun spot here, and that's season predictions. So uh, I know it's always hard, but how do you see Iowa performing this season? Where are they in the Big Ten? Uh, do they make the postseason? If they do, what tournament do they end up in? Um, you don't have to give us a record, but what do you see happening with the Hawkeyes this year? Well, last year they finished 10-8 and eight in the Big Ten, and I think it's reasonable to expect, you know, two extra wins at worst case scenario. Um, that puts them around the 12-6 mark, and I think that's good enough to get them within the top five. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to put them in the top four, considering what Michigan State brings back. Um, what a team like Purdue and how Isaac Haas is still on that team, I, I really don't know how. Um, and then you got Northwestern <laughs> and Minnesota. I think I think there's definitely tiers in the Big Ten. I, I, I think there's the top three with, you know, Michigan State, Purdue, um, and Minnesota. And then it, I think it's going to be Northwestern, Iowa, and maybe a team like Maryland jockeying for that four through six spot. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they were six in the Big Ten. I wouldn't be shocked if they were fourth. Um, and, you know, kind of getting that, that extra day for the Big Ten tournament and going from there. Do I expect them to make the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. There's no reason that a team last year who was the number one seed in the NIT doesn't get into the dance this year. Um, I was probably still a year away, maybe two, from actually, you know, a sweet 16 type of hope. But as of right now, this, this Hawkeye team should be able to, to get there and, you know, hopefully win a game or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, certainly a, a reasonable take. I, th- I think Iowa is absolutely going to be in the top half of the Big Ten. As I mentioned, I, I think the offseason additions are really going to be that extra boost, particularly with Garza. I think he gives them a piece they wouldn't have had without him. Um, and I, I think this team is, is going to take a step forward from last year. I am a little concerned with how far that's going to be. Oh, I guess not concerned, but – 
Um, I'm not sure how far of a step that's going to be, but I think it will be enough to get their name called on Selection Sunday. I think they'll make it in, and really it's going to be, as it always is in terms of Big Ten record, you know, Big Ten finish, it's going to be, you know, how do you perform in the games that are the quote-unquote should win category, you know? Do you win a game against a team like Illinois or Nebraska on the road? Um, you know, do you avoid an upset against uh, Minnesota at home or, or something like that? Uh, but really, it's those games. It's those random games in late January, mid-February that are going to determine the Big Ten standing. But I think this team will be good. I certainly think it's good enough to make the NCAA tournament, which I think it will. I'm not sure if this team is capable of making it to the second weekend without some really uh, lucky bounces, so to speak. Um, but I, I certainly think it's possible if, you know, you, we get a wild card, you know, maybe Garza can be, you know, a huge difference maker or something. You know, you never know. But uh, I think this is an NCAA tournament team. I assume they will be in that round of 64, round of 32 picture, but it should be an exciting season. Um, but with that, uh, do you have any final thoughts here on the Hawkeyes before we let you go? Um, and where, where can people check out your stuff? Um, they can check it up uh, at, on, on Twitter. I'm at Jerry Sherwin. That's Sherwin with a C because my parents like making it difficult um, on how to spell our last <laughs> name, not like the paint. Um, and, yeah, you, over at Black Heart Gold Pants, um, I usually do the recaps for football. I'm going to be big into the basketball season, obviously. As you know, Thomas, it's uh, definitely a passion of mine, you know, Hawkeye Hoops. And, yeah, just check out my stuff over there. Any last things as far as the season? Not really. I think we covered a lot of it. Um, Isaiah Moss, that's the dude. I'm telling you guys, watch this kid. He's going to really impress you guys, especially if he's one of those names that you haven't really studied or heard of yet. That's the guy I'm expecting the biggest mm -hmm. leap from outside of Tyler Cook. So. Excellent. Well, you heard it here first, and thanks a lot for joining us, man. You got it. Thank you. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, as a reminder to everyone, that was Jerome Sherwin. He writes for SB Nation's Iowa site. Check them out if you're an Iowa fan at all or you're interested in Iowa news. It's Black Heart Gold Pants. Um, great site, great stuff. Um, I'm Thomas Bendit. It is almost basketball season, guys. Uh, excited. Moving on. Check out the site. Our written preview started earlier today with Indiana. Iowa will likely follow tomorrow, um, as you might be able to guess from the podcast. <laughs> and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TBendit Powerhouse on, B on Twitter at BT Powerhouse. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Check us out, and we'll see you all next time.